Now, introducing the queen of men's health. Welcome to the Ali Gilbert Podcast, where you'll find the premier men's health info delivered to you the only way I know how, truthful and raw, with the occasional boner joke thrown in. If you guys like this episode, subscribe to my YouTube and slide in the DMs on Instagram and join the party. You guys are in for a treat today. I have, I don't even know how to describe him, Dr. Rudy Everween on here. And the best way I think to describe you, Rudy, is when you walk into the room, it's like sunshine and happiness and just your whole energy is so much fun. And being around you and just talking to you, like you you can't not be in a good mood because you're one of those people that I don't know if I could ever see you sad or upset. You're just always happy every time I talk to you. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. And coming from you, my God, this is so amazing to hear that from you. Because I think the same about you. Your energy is just so contagious. And that positive energy, and, and you know how it is. I believe in energy and, and complementary energy. So I really feel from the first day I met you, we complement each other and make each other better. So, so excited to be here. You're awesome. So Rudy, Rudy is in Miami and I met him when he came to the Silverback Summit last year and he brought Miguel and Carlos Bertinotti. Is that how you say their last name? Yep. My pit bulls. <laughs> which, which is, you know, we all kind of know of each other in like the hormone optimization space, but I don't think any of us had ever met in person. So we had, I'd seen you guys on the TRT Hormone Optimization YouTube channel. And, you know, I've been on there as well. And I was like, you know, this is great that you guys are, we're all in the same place and we all finally met. And, you know, I've learned so much about you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have him on the show. And I think after about nine months of phone tag, we finally found today as the date that works. So we're going to talk about some stuff that, you guys have heard me dabble in, but Rudy is literally the, I don't even know if there's any other authority, but literally the authority on endocrine disrupting chemicals, weight loss drugs, and testosterone in younger guys, specifically this epidemic of low testosterone. He has been handling a lot of this for so long that when he talks about this, you guys are, you're going to be blown away. And also, I have to touch on the fact that you guys interviewed Dr. Shanna Swan, who I love, <laughs> who, who uh, if you guys don't know who she is, I've talked about the fact that she's the one who had that leading study for men being predicted to be infertile by the year 2050. And she's amazing and such a sweetheart. And you guys got to interview her and meet her live. So we'll talk about that. So I'm going to stop rambling. So Rudy, I think... <laughs> Honestly, the best place to start is if you can just give a brief overview of what you do and what you guys do at MHI. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Beautiful introduction. My God, I want to meet this guy after you talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to give you a brief introduction of what got me here. So um, I'm originally from Haiti, came from Haiti. Uh, my first job coming out of uh, high school was Dunkin' Donuts. I worked there for six months and I always knew I wanted to do medicine and I had to learn English when I came here 30 years ago, um, went to University of Florida, got my bachelor's, 
the University of Miami for my MD, and conventionally trade, uh, trained, um, knew nothing about hormones optimization. Uh, my undergrad major was nutrition. So I always had a view that food is important. There's other things than just medication. Started my career as what we call a hospitalist, meaning I was working in the hospital, in the ICU, the emergency room, and it was heavy, gruesome work. So I learned really how to save people's lives, how to deal with acute medicine. But in the back of my mind, although that was very rewarding work, I always thought we should prevent people from going to the hospital. Yes, treating patients in the hospital is good, but how do we help prevent them going from the to the hospital? So in 2005, I started a weight loss clinic. So while I was still in the hospital, I was working, uh, helping people with nutrition, with exercise, and really helping people a lot. But as I was going forward, I saw a lot of patients, nutrition and exercise could only take them so far. So this is where I discovered the world of hormone uh, optimization. And I realized that, wow, our hormones are the most important determinant of our health. Our hormones make us who we are. Our hormones determine our personality. Our hormones determines our stamina, our strength, who we are. So we can think somebody is a strong, positive-minded, a go-to leader type of person. You give him low T or hypothyroid, and it's a completely different person. So I added hormone optimization as another tool besides nutrition and exercise as a tool to help get me there. So here I was, I'm, I'm going to my career, right? I did acute medicine, then preventive medicine with nutrition and exercise. Then I added hormone optimization. And at that time, most patients that I was seeing, they were mostly middle-aged, 45, 50, 60, you know, helping them age more gracefully. And then the past 10 years, I started noticing something. I was getting a lot of 30-year-olds, even some 20-year-old guys with true symptoms of low T, with numbers in their 400, 300, in a 30-year-old guy, otherwise healthy. Wow. You know, traditional medicine tends to want to uh, blame the victim. Whenever they see a guy that has low T, they have two ways of thinking about it. Either they say, oh, it's their fault, they need to work out more, they are lazy, they, they eat junk food, um, or second, they do what I call T-shaming. If a patient goes and does his research and says, doc, I think it's my testosterone, I'm depressed, I have no energy, um, please check my testosterone. A lot of the conventional doctors will be like, ah, stop with that testosterone thing. Uh, you don't need this. You've seen that on TV. Shame the patient into not thinking, gaslighting them into not thinking that's their true symptoms. So my, my practice has evolved over the past 15 years where our average patient were in their mid to late 40s, early 50s, to now our average patient is 35, 37 with true symptoms of low T. So this was mind boggling to me. And we got so many patients, you know this, your patients come to you because they wanna optimize, they wanna feel better. Um, when a patient goes to their primary care doctor and they do a yearly physical, they usually get a, everything looks good, maybe your cholesterol is a little high, otherwise you are great. And the patient's like, okay, I hear you doc, but I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. I feel old, my joints are aching. Uh, my my mood is blah. I have no libido, no energy. I just feel like I'm going through life like my grandpa already at 35. And they're like, nope, you're fine. All your labs are okay. See you next year, right? Gaslighting. And then they come to people like you and me and we're like, no, let's do a deep dive. 
into what you're doing? How are you really feeling? How satisfied are you with your life? And that's when you start really discovering that the patient was not doing great. And in a lot of cases, I'm not saying every case, in a lot of cases, a lot of those symptoms are related to hormone deficiency, to poor nutrition. To, and, and poor nutrition doesn't always mean that they are eating junk food all day long, but they are just not optimized. And this is where you come in and you can change people's lives, where I come in, where I can really help with the hormones and the whole holistic health. And we take patients from feeling horrible to now being the best version of themselves. And I'm so glad that you see things the way you do, because you've heard me talk about how men just don't want to go to the doctor, period. And for them to actually get the courage to go to a doctor and describe their symptoms only to be dismissed because they either look fit or they're too young or they're in range breaks my mm -hmm. heart because then they're just like, well, I'm defeated. I'm not going to go to anybody else. Why would they want to go to another doctor and another doctor? So knowing that there's physicians like yourself out there where I can send clients who I know will get exactly what they need, who won't be gaslit and actually be listened to and understood. And I think that's a big part of the human connection is people don't feel like they're understood and finding a doctor who understands what they're going through, especially as a younger man is huge. So with these, these younger guys that you've now been seeing for the last decade or so, what do you think is the driving root cause for them to be experiencing this so much younger than when we grew up? Yeah, and, and I think this is where I've had a lot of aha moments in my life. And reading Shana Swan book, Countdown, really made it for me. So we were, I was so impressed with the research that we flew to San Francisco and me and the Berto Nazi boys, <laughs> we spent two and a half hours interviewing her. And she's amazing, her energy. So she's an epidemiologist that's been studying that for the past 30 years. Yeah. She mostly studied how sperm count has decreased 52% over the last 40 years. And if things continue the way they are, that by the year 2050, 80 to 90% of couples will have to do assisted reproduction. Just think about the number of IVF clinics who are opening. As I'm saying this, most people are going to be like, oh yeah, my friend needed to do IVF. My cousin has problems having kids. This is an epidemic that I did not understand what was going on until I read that book. So that book, Countdown, I really encourage everybody to see it, to, to read it. So yes, when I was in med school, what we studied, what are the causes of hypogonadism, of low T, right? It's usually the first thing that conventional medicine recognizes. It um, late onset hypogonadism, meaning as you age, you get low T. So that's what I learned. And if it's not age, it is usually either testicular trauma, testicular cancer, um, um, genetic diseases like Klinefelter syndrome and all those big things. And then in the bottom, they usually say impossible environmental factors, just as a little PS. <laughs> and then what we're noticing, that PS, that environmental factor, is one of now the biggest determinants of health. So Shana Swan was able to prove with studies that a lot of those endocrine disrupting chemicals like pesticides, plasticizers, like BPA, phthalates, um, um, so many toxins that are deemed estrogenics. So it is like we are being 
bathed in a soup of estrogen. So as a man, just imagine, would you take estrogen pills? Hell no. But we are being assaulted by it. We eat it in our food. That's the pesticides that they put on our food. We put it on our skin, all of the shampoo, soap, anything with fragrance. We even breathe it in because it is in, in uh, air dust in our house. Um, microplastics. I think everybody's aware that microplastics are a big problem, but they are mostly aware that it is fish and, and animals that it affects. Well, it affects us too because we are at the top of the food chain. So the animals that eat that plastic, we eat it. And plastics is an estrogen compound. So when you take too much estrogen as a man, uh, just think about it, right? You take too much estrogen, it gives you the negative feedback loop to your pituitary. So you develop hypogonadism. So it made it so much sense. There's a study that showed that now the average human is eating about um, the, the, the equivalent of a credit card worth of plastic every year. Huh. They found those endocrine disrupting chemicals in cord blood. So our kids in the womb are being exposed to it. They found um, those EDCs in breast milk. So it's crazy what's happening. And let me tell you what's crazier and scarier is those endocrine disrupting chemicals, again, in the book, Shana Swan, and backed by studies, they can affect the, the baby even when they are in the womb. So it can, uh, it can cross the placental barrier and affect the baby. Um, I didn't know, uh, I learned about this also. A fetus is usually female until it gets a surge of testosterone during the first trimester. That's why I always say females are the strongest sex. There's absolutely no questions about this. <laughs> so unless in the first trimester um, you get a surge of testosterone, and then that's what determines the secondary male sexual characteristics. Yeah. So if the mother is exposed to plastics, pesticides, those endocrine disrupting chemicals during the first trimester, during a certain window, that male fetus never gets that surge of testosterone. So now you get that poor kid that was exposed, no fault of his own at this time, and then he doesn't get that surge of testosterone and comes down a whole host of abnormalities, reproductive or sexual. It's actually called testicular dysgenesis syndrome, hmm. meaning that the testicles and the reproductive organs are not formed properly. And then with this comes a higher risk of testicular cancer, undescended testes, varicocele. Um, Shana Swan describes what they call a shortened AGD, anogenital distance, which is the distance between the anus and the testicles. This is something that is constant in humans. Men have it longer compared to women. So she was able to prove that the distance, the length of your AGD is directly related to that surge of testosterone in the womb. So if you're exposed to certain plastics and plasticizers and EDCs, your AGD gets shortened. And that shortened AGD corresponds longer term with decreased fertility, erectile dysfunction, decreased overall um, um, satisfaction in your sex life. So that's why now when I understood that, I was like, wow. So you have, we got a lot of 20, 25 year old guys who will tell me, doc, I never felt like I had that surge of testosterone in my 16 or 18. It's like, I felt like something was not right with me since I was young. And then as you get older, 
you feel that this is not really getting you that same level. So that's why I was talking to Dave Lee the other day. And he said Dave that. Also, Dave is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, you know, it. and there's a cohort of young men in their 20s that don't never feel that rush of, you know, masculinity of that surge of testosterone that really makes it. Um, what people don't understand, they think testosterone is just muscles and sex. It's really good for those two things. But where it's really important, it's a brain hormone. This is what determines your motivation, your personality, how determined you are, that really true positive masculinity. You know, we'll talk also about toxic masculinity, which we need to talk about it. Um, a, a lot of my guys, I, I created a term. Um, some of the guys come to me with low T, um, you know, don't feel their best. You know, I'm not doing great, kind of more timid. Uh, you get them onto the program, you fix their testosterone, you get them to work out, get them to lift weights. Now they, they, they become too confident and they go from timid to what I call confident assholes, CAs, <laughs> right? So I'm like, don't become a CA. I'm yes. going to give you energy, but become the best man that you can be. Become the best leader, the best partner, the best at work, at home, at the gym, crush it, but still keep an open and a soft heart. I, I love that. And to back up a little bit about um, talking about the AG distance, I always make the joke in my talks that because my initials are AG, now you guys will always remember exactly <laughs> what to do. And then I, I you know, mentioned, well, tonight you're all going to go back to your hotel room and measure your taint. And I okay. laughed so hard that Dr. Swan is like, I don't know how old she is, but she says grundle and taint. Yes, and all and taint. Oh my God. <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard. Um, and I, I remember reading the book. I was like, this is obscene. The fact that if I was pregnant with a, a boy, I could literally affect his sperm count as, as he goes to be a man. And, and that's like, it's crazy. And when you talk about that, people are like, what? Like, you know, you don't believe it. And Dr. Swan was just as skeptical of all this. That's basically why she studied this further. But you you read the book and you're like, this is crazy. This is and, crazy. And all that exposure. So can you uh, explain like what exactly is happening? So if a man is exposed to these, these bad estrogens, what do they do in the body that causes such disruption and feminization? Yeah, so so there's multiple um, mechanism of action that those EDCs cause. So the one and most important one, there's another great book by Dr. Anthony Jay. He's an, also a PhD called Estrogeneration. And he explains to us how a lot of those EDCs, endocrine disrupting chemicals, they are mostly estrogenics. So the more estrogen you get exposed to as a man, um, the more you get that negative feedback loop to your, to your pituitary and you decrease FSH and LH. FSH is what is responsible for sperm formation. LH is what's responsible for testosterone formation. So it is the same tree of sexual and reproductive health. Sperm and testosterone are made from the same tree. So estrogen damages that tree. So this is one of the main factors. Another mechanism of action, some of those uh, toxins increase SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin. Mm -hmm. And for us who do a lot of labs, you know, I do so many labs and our labs are very, very detailed. You'll see a guy with a normal total testosterone. Total testosterone, well, and I say normal, normal now, four yeah. to 500. And they go to their doctor, they're like, oh, it's completely normal. 
we check SHBG and free testosterone. So I have a case the other day. I see that often. Total testosterone, 500, 530. SHBG is high, maybe 50, 60. And their free testosterone is maybe eight. Normally, seven to 30. So it was their free testosterone. Most conventional doctors don't check free T because it's not covered by insurance. There is new research that is now, um, conventional medicine is now saying, you know what? If a patient has symptoms, we maybe should check free T. Um, yeah. Duh. Right? <laughs> You would think that'd <laughs> so be obvious. Um, you know, something important also, um, as you were saying, so if you're pregnant, what's happening with women, with girl fetuses, when you get exposed to those to those hormones, it does a whole hostile trouble also. Early menarche. Now we see six or seven years old with boobs and develop and puberty. So that's a higher testosterone, a high incident of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, where the testosterone is high. And all the the health effects that come with this. So it affects every um, sex. But what we're seeing, because the male fetus tends to be more sensitive mm -hmm. to those stressors, we're seeing that males are having even more of an issue. And when we think about it, um, there's a lot of books now talking about the boy crisis, how boys are not keeping up with girls. Women are graduating at higher rates than, than, than men in many different things, in things they used to dominate, like law school, med school. I remember my med school in 1991 when I went there, University of Miami, that was the first time that there were more female than males. They got to 51%. Now, I don't know the number, but I think they are 55 or 60% female to male ratio. And this is happening. I'm not saying testosterone is responsible for all this, but it plays a big role. So caring for our guys, caring for our young boys, and trying to make them be compassionate, first of all, and be saying, you know, sometimes it's not your fault. Let's go deeper. There's something else that's causing you to have a lot of those psychological, physical, mental, and let's go to the root cause of it, and let's help you get better at this. It, it, it's mind-blowing how many of the the younger guys. And it's also very overwhelming to think about the exposure to all of this. And I'm sure that that you get asked what can be done because I always do. And I always make the joke that men like structure and you have to give them a few things to do right away. It can't be too many things. And pretty much most guys like having their shampoo, conditioner, body wash, beard oil, shaving cream, motor oil, all in one place. <laughs> so if we can use or take the things that they they use daily, products on their body, hair, stuff like that, change that out for non-toxic stuff, that's a good start. The second thing, switch out any plastic Tupperware, because fitness pros, we like our Tupperware and you, know, you don't want to heat it up, plastic, switch it out for stainless steel or glass. What are some of your like non-negotiable tactical things for guys to be able to do tomorrow? And you know, that's what's amazing with you, Ali, that that you and, and, and a lot of the great coaches out there, you know so much more than the average physician. And those things take people so much further than just throwing medications at them. So the first thing I always say first is awareness. People need to realize that, it is important to do those things, not because you may have cancer, although they are, most of them, uh, you know, they, they increase risk of cancer. 
Most young guys, if you tell them cancer, that's like, they're like, it's for old people. That doesn't concern me. But if you let them know your dick is not going to work, you may not be able to have kids. That's why I want you to make those changes. It's much more powerful. So Smart. number one is awareness. Awareness. People like you and me need to keep screaming that this happens. This is real. This happens to almost anybody who gets in touch with them. So awareness, number one. Number two is, as you said, trying to decrease your exposure to those toxins. So where do we get those toxins from? Number one is food. And people think food meaning just it's a lot of sugar, the bad quality of food. That's true. But even worse, it's the pesticides that are on those foods. Atrazine, glyphosate. So eating organic, to me, that's non-negotiable. I'd rather eat a cookie than a blueberry that's not organic. So it, it, it's crazy to say that because what, what, what the pesticides can do to me more than, than the sugar, it's scarier. So there's the dirty dozen, right? That, that there's some fruits and vegetables that you should really make the effort. What's hard is, and then that's where the economic um, and social status comes and plays a role. Yeah. Can everybody afford, you know, uh, organics? Uh, it, it's really tough. But number one, decrease exposure from your food. Don't use plastic, especially hot liquids or hot foods in plastic. You get all the phthalates, BPA, that leach into your food. Number two, the skin. The skin is our largest organ, and that's where we absorb most of those chemicals. And that's why they say women used to be more exposed to those chemicals, because women use a lot more products. Now men are becoming more aware. Um, I had my 17-year-old uh, nephew the other day that... Uh, I was saying, when family would say, oh, yeah, he moisturizes now. I'm like, what? Well, I, I never used to moisturize. I'm no. like, you know what? But it's a good thing. Yeah. But don't use the wrong products. No. But if people don't know this, and a lot of people will think the more expensive the product, the better it is. No, yeah. it's not. So you need to do your research. And this is where books that count down. I'm, I'm working on a book and trying to help steer people in the right direction. And the more awareness people have, the more they'll be able to vote with their wallet. That is the important thing. We need to realize those companies do not have our best interest in mind. But if you do the research and then now you ask for the better product, the more people do it, at some point there'll be a critical mass where those companies, at the, at, at the end of the, the day, it's the bottom line. If they see that more people demand better products, they will make a change. If they see people keep buying the toxic products, they'll keep making them. Number three is we breathe them. That is a big source of exposure. So having the right filter around your house, uh, the right water filter, the right air filter, there are so many things that you can do that are simple things. Uh, but as you were saying, the most, the easiest is your food. Be very careful with this. Your skin, very important. And also increasing awareness, not only with you. I think... Every time I go to parties, I start talking about this. Some people roll their eyes, but when I walk around, some people are like, hey, Doc, come, let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? I'm sure you get the same. Oh, yeah. And and I think that this is like a good shift into discussing. Um, you have those younger men. They come to the office. They're suffering. They might need testosterone replacement therapy, but... Of course, the younger they are, that social stigma pulls harder. And now 
most doctors would think they're just after steroids and, you know, mm -hmm. just wanting to be a bodybuilder when in fact it actually could be quite the opposite and they may not even look the part, right? Because they're suffering so much. They don't have that motivation. They actually have physical symptoms. So when it comes to a protocol for them, is it TRT right away? Is it something else? Is it both at the same time? Because I know many of them worry about uh, fertility. So how do you broach that conversation with them? Yes, that, that's very important. And it's st still crazy for me because as you've seen, Loti clinics have mushroomed all over the place. Mm -hmm. Everybody's a Loti expert now, yeah. which first it lets us know there is a demand for it. So guys are looking for it. Yep. But I, it's crazy how many guys still come to me. They were on testosterone and nobody has ever told them that it can affect their fertility. So this is a conversation you need to have with the patient. So when I sit down with my younger guys, I'm like, where are you with your fertility journey? Is it something that you want that, that you want to have? So I have a couple of studies that are really important for this. Number one, Dr. Ramasamy from the University of Miami interviewed him also. He did a couple of amazing studies. The first study that he did was he was the first conventional doctor that really put it out there. He studied adolescents and young adult males from 19 to 35. And he saw that about 20% of them had true low testosterone symptoms, true testosterone deficiency, they call it now, symptoms. So that made it real for me. I'm like, ah, oh, I have a study to back my clinical results. So yes, even if you're 20, 25, 30, Dr. Ramasamy's study shows us that this is there. Second, he showed that most of those guys, their um, testosterone deficiency symptoms started when their testosterone is the 400 range, not that 300. And now LabCorp is down to 264 as the lower limit of norm. <laughs> Don't even get me started I on know. this. <laughs> right? So now it's not a number game anymore. And number three, he did show that for those younger guys, most of their symptoms weren't as sexual dysfunction as much of the older guys, it was mostly decreased motivation and low energy and low libido. So a lot of guys will tell me, I can get it up, but I have no desire. I'm like, my girlfriend is like my roommate. If she wants to, yeah, I'll do it. But I don't have that drive to do it. Mm. So those studies really helped me with this. So now when I find that patient and, and we have that discussion, where are you with your fertility journey? Do you want to have kids now? Do you have a girlfriend? If they're really interested in their fertility, I'll usually start with either HCG or Clomid as a way to increase. Well, first we have to see if it is secondary hypogonadism, meaning they have lower levels of testosterone and their LH is low, abnormally normal or low, they will likely respond to Clomid or HCG. If they have primary hypogonadism, meaning that they have low testosterone, but their LH is high, that means that they have some kind of testicular insult, they will not respond to HCG or clomid. So first, I try to determine which type of hypogonadism they have. Then we go over options. Another important thing, we found a company now that does that, that does a really, good, a really good sperm analysis at home. Oh. So a lot of my younger guys, I send them to that website so they can do a baseline sperm sample to see where's your fertility. And we've been doing this for the past four months, about 40 to 50% of the sperm samples we've been doing are abnormal, just like Dr. Swan showed. Amazing. So it's distressing to those poor guys, but I like to have a baseline. So yeah. 
once I finish talking about this, then we have the discussion. And I have a lot of guys who will tell me, Doc, I feel so bad. I can't even think about kids right now mm. because they went to their primary doc. They put them on SSRIs. They put them in antidepressants. Their life sucks. They're really not at their best place. They're like, Doc, make me better, please. So on those patients, I'll do a combination of testosterone plus HCG. My young patients always put, I don't love Clomid as much. Clomid, I don't know if you've seen, sometimes you see Clomid, testosterone goes from 300 to six, 700. Some patients get success, but some patients say, yeah, my numbers look good, but I actually have more anxiety. Uh, I don't feel my numbers may look better. So I get better results with HCG. And HCG, because it's an LH analog, it's an LH agonist, it, it does better. So my younger patients, we will put them, if after the discussion, informed consent, they agree, we'll do testosterone plus HCG. And we get a lot of patients who get their girls pregnant on testosterone plus HCG. So I told them, it's not impossible. So the goal first, let's get you to feel better. Let's get you to feel what high testosterone feels like. And within three to four months, it's a complete transformation. Again, never testosterone by itself. Diet, nutrition, and mindset. Optimization, they go together. But the results we get, um, I counted now, we took, we took off about... I think we're at 92 patients now, 92 guys that were able to take them off their antidepressant medications once we optimize their hormone and their nutrition. It's I believe crazy. it. <laughs> I believe yeah, it. Yeah, we're counting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, and, and I'm glad that you talked about that because um, I know I've discussed this with Dave Lee as well because he's he's 30 going on uh you know 80 with the amount of wisdom that he has and how he carries himself so maturely um or, or so he shows but and i just love <laughs> busting his balls but but he he often discusses like you know cuz this is a big deal where guys um are terrified to be optimized cuz they don't want to necessarily become sterile and he encourages the sperm test just like you because he, he says, you know, if you're going to go into fatherhood, do you want to go into fatherhood as an optimized high testosterone man or the way you're feeling now? Because that can carry on into your children. And oh, so the guys do have options. So it it is an option to be able to go on TRT and mitigate any of the effects of sperm suppression with something like HCG and then getting the sperm tests and stuff. But you only go through this if you go to somebody who understands that, such as yourself, because there's a lot of guys that'll go, like you said, here in Florida, we were both in Florida. There's a clinic every five minutes that sends them out the door with a cookie cutter protocol. They probably wouldn't ask any questions and just throw a guy on testosterone once a week injection, once every two weeks, you know, how often do you have guys come to you and they're on this crazy protocol that is making them feel worse? Yeah. So it's, you know, and when I started my, my testosterone practice, I think 13 years ago, I did a cookie cutter protocol. I didn't know better. Right. The average patient gets one ML, 200 milligram of testosterone a week, HCG 500 units twice a week, and an astrozole one milligram twice a week. Everybody was on that. Now we know better, right? The studies are really showing. We've talked enough about how testosterone um, conversion to estrogen, how estradiol is protective for the brain, the heart, the sex drive, libido, everything, uh, so many things. So that's what I used to do. But 
I've, I've expanded. I went to conferences. I listened to the pioneers. Now we know we're able to take out 99.9% .9 of our patients off of anastrozole. And the way we've done that, we've learned that the once a week, some patients can still do well with it. Mm -hmm. But based, depending on your SHBG, the lower the SHBG, usually the more frequent you need your injection. So most of our patients, we try to do two to three weeks. We take the same dose and we split it into smaller doses. And it makes so much sense. You know, our body doesn't make one big dose of testosterone a week. It gets little pulses daily. So three times a week works really, really well because, you know, the, uh, the, the half-life of test cipionate is about five to seven days. So when you do every three days, you, get a, you go up and instead of the ups and downs of once a week, you go up and it kind of stays up. So it's a smoother curve. So mm -hmm. patients feel much better with this. So with this, because you don't have the high peak of testosterone, you have less estrogen conversion. So you tend not to have the nipple sensitivity or gynecomastia that you can get with the high weekly dose. And the conventional urologist, the AUA, American Urological Association, still recommends 200 milligrams once every two weeks. It's still on their manuals. I speak to my urology friends. I'm like, when are you guys going to understand that the half-life of this medication doesn't allow you to do this? The patient will feel good for the first three days, five days. By the eight or nine, they drop their testosterone and they feel like shit. They come to us and we change their lives. So I wanted to do another study talking about fertility. Dr. Ramasamy again from University of Miami, he did another study. That one was amazing. So he looked at guys that were on testosterone for about 10 years plus. Mm -hmm. And he, he did a sperm sample. Majority of them had zero sperm. Like, you know, that, that's normal. He took those guys off of testosterone and he put them on a protocol, high dose HCG plus Clomid. Within three months, 95% of them regained their fertility. Wow. And he told me that 5% that didn't regain it, it's most likely because they, we can't prove it, but he said it's because maybe they had a fertility problem before starting TRT. So that was so comforting for me. Because there is, there's a scare out there that sometimes it can affect your fertility uh, irreversibly. So right. men would be like, oh my God, going on testosterone, I may never get fertile. I'll yeah. send them that study. I'm very evidence-based. So, uh, you know, I, I believe in the clinical scenario first, because sometimes you see a clinical situation and the studies don't translate into it much. But when you have studies to back you up and you have the clinical experience and the clinical scenarios, now you feel comfortable. So, um, you know, our clinic, you've seen our newsletters, our videos, our podcasts, we're very educational. I tell my patient, I'm not your doctor. I don't believe in paternalistic medicine where I'm the doc, just do as I say, here's your medication, see you in a year. I, it's a partnership with my patient. We're going to discuss and be like, what's the best thing for you? Let's do this. And then check labs again, tweak it. It's continuous improvement, continuous tweaking. And I'm very vocal. I'm on testosterone therapy. It changed my life. So I need, I, I want to scream that anywhere that I can. There should not be a stigma, a T-shaming about testosterone. If you need testosterone therapy to get you to feel your best, just like if you need insulin to control your diabetes, you need it. There should be no shame, no stigma about it. So me and you need to keep screaming that everywhere. Um, a lot of times I tell my patients, our goal is maybe to help you avoid testosterone with the right diet, the right exercise regimen. But sometimes 
again, because of some exposure possibly or some other reasons that we're still going to um, find out as time goes, sometimes that's what you need. And if you need it, be okay with it. Yes. Yes. Like I, I, you know, like part of my life's work is, is trying to, you know, help these men not feel bad about going on it because you know how guys are. You are a man. You guys don't want to rely on something and, mm -hmm. and they don't want to feel like they're defeated or succumb to something. And that's not the case. Like women go on hormone replacement. Nobody bats an eye, but a guy needs TRT and it becomes like, you know, these stigmas, like you said, so keep doing what you're doing because you're doing such great work with these guys, especially with the younger population. Cause this is such an unknown territory. I did want to mm. ask you with that. Um, I don't know if anyone knows the answer to this, but do you think in the future there may be maybe not TRT, but some sort of testosterone exposure in boys like prepubescent and all of that. Do you think that that might be in our future where something like that might have to happen? Well, listen, uh, the other day we checked the testosterone level of a 16 year old. So his dad is my patient. And he was like, hey, I'm worried about my son. All he does, he stays in his room. He doesn't really, he, he's very shy. All he does is plays his, his, his video games. He's developing men boobs. He's, he's not active. We checked his testosterone. His testosterone was 265. Why? 16 years old. 16. I did not do anything for him. I just told him, look, try to make him to go outside and play, watch yeah. the plastic, the exposure. I'm like, but imagine this kid in 10, 20 years. So, yeah. So, again, when we started, our great-grandparents didn't need testosterone, maybe never, or maybe in their 70s or 80s. Our parents, maybe in their 60s. My generation... It's like, you know, like me, I started in my late 40s, early 50s. I'm seeing the next generation, it's in their 30s. Mm -hmm. The generation after that, starting in their 20s, where are we going to be 50 years from now? Who knows? And again, let me give you another study where the EDCs, like I was telling you, what they do, it's not just that it affects one generation. So EDCs have been shown, specific EDCs, especially phthalates, one of the plasticizers, and BPA and glyphosate, they affect, they have epigenetic changes that can change now your germline. So uh, they, they were able to show, for example, DDT, which was an anti-mosquito um, uh, pesticide. Mm. They looked at women that were exposed in the 60s. They had high levels of DDT in their blood. And they looked at three generations down. Those women still had never exposed to DDT but they are the epigenetic changes done to their DNA. And they still had the, the, a lot of the disease associated for women, infertility, endometriosis, high rate of fibroids, breast cancer. So imagine if we check those boys, the grandson of those, because it does show that there are epigenetic changes done by those EDCs that is now passed on from generation to generation. How scary is this? Oh, it's terrifying to to think of where we were, where we are now, and where this is going. Where this is you going. It, so uh, again, when I talk about this, it tends to be very doom and gloom and apocalyptic. Oh my God, where are we going? But <laughs> as you said, I'm a very optimistic person. Oh, yes. And I always try to turn it first. We need to know. We need to be like, after a conversation like this, more people have to be like, oh shit, where are we going? 
And I need that reaction because if you don't, without this, people don't take action. Correct. But once you have this, then I'm like, but okay, now that's for the population. What can you do for you personally? And this is where we do this. First, be aware. Second, let's check your numbers. And if you have a testosterone problem, a thyroid problem, anything, we can fix it. So what's great because of our technology, our science, our understanding of functional endocrinology now, our, our success rate with our patient is almost 90%, mm. right? So we can yeah. fix the individual, the society I'm worried about. Yeah. But the way we change the society, we change each individual so that it can change the collective. Love that. And then you're talking on this subject in younger men at the Age Medicine Management Group AMMG seminar coming up in April, which I think they're they're gonna their minds are gonna be blown. Yeah, because you know I, I got I got board certified at AMMG, and I go to those conferences, and it, those are great conferences. Mm -hmm. But I've never heard the urgency from most of the speakers. I've never heard the compassion and the understanding. Still, most docs and most advertisement you see for low testosterone, it's a guy that has white hair like me. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be. Oh, let, let me tell you something else. So the first, I don't know if you remember, but the first Viagra commercial in the 1990s, you know, it was Bob Hope, a 72-year-old okay. man who came in, he was the first. So first it was groundbreaking because you could never talk about erections on TV, no. right? So that was the first, that was 1990. Do you know those companies, those telehealth companies that sell Viagra online? Yeah. There's a bunch of them. Hims, Roman, Lemonade. You can't watch a sports game now without having those commercials come on. Oh, you can't. And who does those commercials? The guy who founded Hims with his dad, he's 25. Wow. 25. And he came in on TV. The first commercial was in a Super Bowl ad. And he said, well, you know, I was having problems having an erection and it's embarrassing to go to the doctor's office. So I founded this company where you can just in the comfort of your own home, you get a telehealth consultation and we send you Viagra. It's a great service, but it's 25. The average age of patients using those telehealth services, uh, I think it's over, it was 32, the average age. Something's going on. Encourage these guys to talk about this. They're not going to talk about it. They don't walk into the locker room and they're like, oh man, you know, I had an erection and then I lost it last night. Like that's not stuff they just talk about socially. Yeah. So the more that yeah. they know that nothing is wrong with them, that this is common, but it's not normal and we want to do something about it. Then yeah. they're like, okay, I'm not alone. It's okay to seek help with that. Yeah. Um, and this is where the vulnerability comes yep. in. You know, we, we need to find a safe space to talk to those men because when something like this happens to a man, it is deeply disturbing, deeply soul crushing. Uh, it's really the same way, you know, sometimes when a woman goes to menopause and they'll go to a male doctor, they're like, oh, you can't understand what I'm going through. Ali, I know you understand that because you've talked to enough men and you have such compassion that you can really understand it. But it is deeply, deeply disturbing. I actually came up with another term. You know, I like to come with terms, right? I got <laughs> yes. a bunch of guys. Let me turn around a little, too much light. I got a bunch of guys who come to me and they'll tell me, Doc, I'm depressed. Um, you know, I lost pleasure in a lot of things and I go through the whole history. And then once I fix 
everything. Now they are able to get great erections. They have good sex, you know, with their partners. They're able to, you know, enjoy sex. There's nothing as satisfying for a man to make a woman orgasm. Nothing as satisfying yeah, as this, right? So I'll tell them, you didn't have depression. I came up with that new term. They have spread, S-P-R-E-A-D, sexual performance related anxiety and depression. You had anxiety and depression because of your sexual performance. Once you go two or three nights and you make a sing, anxiety <laughs> and depression is gone. I love so that. when you see somebody, a young guy coming to you with, oh, life, it, it sucks. Ask him, do you have spread? And we need to talk about this. This is going to go into DSM-5 of psychiatric disorders. This patient does not need an SSRI. This patient needs to get optimization of his hormones. And you know, we do that a lot. A combination of hormone optimization, low dose Cialis, nitric oxide makes a world of a difference. So nice, you go, now you go from a depressed, anxious, a fear of intimacy person to a guy who wants to crush it. Again, I always tell my guys, especially if they have a long-term girlfriend or they are married, don't get yourself in trouble. I'm yep. giving you a yep. lot of power, a lot of sexual power. Use it wisely. Use it with the woman that's been standing by you this whole time, even when you weren't good. Oh, yeah. Right? Such a, Don't be that not, confident yeah. asshole. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there are not <laughs> enough doctors that talk about that, too. And and uh, like I know Dr. Serrano asks the woman, hey, how's your sex drive? Because if he puts, you know, the man on octane, then, you know, we have to make sure everything matches. I love that acronym. I'm, I'm going to add that to my talks. And I will obviously credit you with that because <laughs> I think that is phenomenal because I see that all the time on consultations. You got to break it down because they're so embarrassed. And quite frankly, that is why I had the Silverback Summit be a men's only mm -hmm. uh, event. So we had female practitioners, but there isn't really a space for these guys to not only meet others who are similar and going through the same thing, but to actually freely talk about it. And you provide that safe space for these guys, which I think is fantastic. Um, <clears throat> segueing into another worry of theirs that I just want to mm -hmm. touch on, because I don't think we talk about this enough, is um, when guys go on testosterone, one of their biggest fears is losing their hair. So a lot of them think they're being proactive by getting finasteride or Propecia or oh. similar drugs. So please go into some of the detriments and why this can just backfire on men. And that's, again, mind-boggling to me that we're still using this without informing the patients. Yes. So testosterone, most of its action is being done by conversion with aromatase to estradiol, estradiol which we talked about. Then testosterone gets converted to DHT, dihydrotestosterone, by the 5-alpha-reductase enzyme. So DHT is the real androgen. It's really what gives you the, the action of testosterone. So DHT binds to the androgen receptor 10 times stronger than testosterone, intracellularly. So what you really need, want when you get testosterone, you want more DHT. So, But unfortunately, DHT is what also can cause hair loss. There's no questions. When you go on testosterone, it's possible if you have the genetic predisposition that you may have more hair loss, more hair thinning. I'm not going to deny this. But going on finasteride to block that 5-alpha reductase, so you block the conversion of testosterone to DHT, is the worst thing you can do. Because now you take testosterone, 
and you cannot get the right action of testosterone. So it makes so the worst patient I've seen is the patient who are on testosterone, they're on anastrozole and finasteride. So you block all the good hormones that testosterone needs. So I actually did a search yesterday because I get so many patients like this. Actually, part of my intake now, have you ever taken finasteride? Mm. And a lot of patients will say yes. And again, because of those telehealth companies that made it so much easier to now get those prescriptions, the prescription rate went up 400% of finasteride. Oh. And if you even look at what's described in the finasteride prospectus, their side effects are listed. Sexual dysfunction, decreased libido, decreased size of, uh, of the penis, decreased sperm count, anxiety, depression. It's listed, it's there. So when you ask the doctors, they will tell you, especially if you ask a dermatologist, plastic surgeon, people who do hair transplants, they'll be like, oh, this is overstated. It's only two to 3%. All right, I'll give you the two to 3%. Although I don't believe that, it's much higher. Yeah. But imagine, I think the number of prescriptions, it's now, they, they write about in the US about 400,000 prescriptions of finasteride. Oh my God. What's 3% of 400,000, right? That's 12,000 people. And it's to me, it's much higher than this. I see it much more. So what we started doing, when a patient tells us that they, they, they take finasteride, we check a DHT. Mm -hmm. DHT tends to be expensive, not covered by insurance. So usually when the guy calls first, we're like, we should, they're like, oh no, I'm trying to save money. I don't want to do my whole labs. So now we, we kind of tailor it. But I have a typical patient with this, 32 years old, started testosterone at 25 because he had all the symptoms. Uh, his testosterone was in the 350 range. Uh, started testosterone. Um, and then he was worried about his hair. And he took finasteride. He's like, nobody told me. They told me, no, it's really good. And I'm going to tell you, finasteride is good for hair growth and to maintain it. It is. But what happened to this guy, he came to me. He was like, doc, I'm on testosterone. I don't feel good. I don't know what's going on. I felt good maybe the first two months. Then I have all the symptoms I had. We checked his DHT. His total testosterone was 1,200. You're like, oh, beautiful. His DHT was 17. Normal is from 40 to 120, depending on the scale. It was 17. So he's taking testosterone, but he's not getting the benefits of what testosterone does intracellular. So we took him off. Um, DHT. Uh, we gave him other supplements. There's great supplements. There's other things that work well enough for hair that you don't need to play Russian roulette with your dick, with your libido, and with your possibility of having kids. This is serious. So within three months, his, D his DHT went from 17 to 110. Wow. And he felt amazing. Uh. We took him off anastrozole, took him off finasteride. Um, and he told me, he's like, I'm going to try all those things for that hair. And if I stay bald, I'm bald. Hair is important. I'm not taking that away. But right now, there are great uh, supplements, and I can tell them. I have no, uh, I don't have no financial backing for any of those yeah. companies. What are they? Nutrafol. It's an amazing supplement for hair. Red light therapy. I like to combine Nutrafol and red light therapy. There are so many new treatments for hair serums. There is even minoxidil, which is a blood pressure medication that this year at very low doses. I've used minoxidil for a long time. Mm. Side effect profile is much lower. But why would you play Russian roulette with finasteride and take that chance? And what's bad with finasteride, there is something called the post-finasteride syndrome, where even when you stop finasteride, it's possible that it is 
it damaged the androgen receptors or keep decreasing the conversion to keep affecting the, the five alpha reductase enzyme. So even when you stop the medication, the symptoms are still there. So in Europe, of course, you know, Europe is much more progressive than us. France has just put finasteride, they call it a red 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 box label, like a black box label we have in, in the States. Yeah. They, are, they are doing uh, a lot of PSAs about it because they are much more progressive. In the US, silence, silence. Amazing. It's it, crazy. Uh... So everybody who's listening to this, if you take in finasteride, it is not worth it. Yes, it is good for hair, but there's other options. And it's not just sexual side effects. A lot of guys, it's anxiety, depression, anhedonia, not getting pleasure in what they want anymore. And it can be insidious. It doesn't just hit you. A lot of guys will tell me, Doc, I've been on it three years. I don't think I ever had it. I'm like, so why are you coming to my clinic? You have symptoms of low T, right? They're like, yeah, but I don't think it's finasteride. And I'm like, let me explain to you DHT and how important DHT is. So I was thinking, what's a way I can try to explain that? It's like you buy a beautiful condo in Miami Beach, right? With beautiful view. You bought the condo, you paid the extra money because you, you see the ocean view. The ocean view is what you paid for. Now they put two big buildings right in front of your view. So you <laughs> paid the money, you cannot see the view. One building is finasteride, one building is an astrozole. You blocked what you paid for. You want testosterone because testosterone turns to estradiol and to DHT, and you get the positive benefits of testosterone via those two hormones. Why would you want to block them? So basically, unless you're genetically predisposed, going on TRT does not instantly mean you will lose your hair. But if you are genetically predisposed, it may accelerate it, but it's not a guarantee so that if you try to combat this by going on finasteride, you risk becoming impotent, having anxiety, having libido issues. Basically, you become like the worst version of yourself because you're just not going to feel your best is what you're saying. <laughs> so if that's and not again, scary... What is? But <laughs> but yesterday I went and I, I just went on YouTube and I put finasteride. Yeah. And you have so many influencers in there saying finasteride changed my life. Look at my hair. Yes, there are scary symptoms, but I've been on it for a year and I'm fine. I'd love to see those guys two years, five years, 10 years, because it's two to three percent cumulative. The longer you take on it, let's say you're on it five, five years. Now, your risk is 10 to 15 percent. Mm -hmm. It increases. It's cumulative. So. Yes, you may you may know your friend who took it never had a problem, but why would you risk that? So, it, so it's a I, I need to do, I don't know how to do this, but those companies who are doing this and giving patients without a full informed consent, yeah. um, you know, the doctors who are doing this, maybe they don't know enough because they never see the patient back, right? Because when they start having problems, they, they don't usually put put it together. You know, because it could be EDCs, it could be their diet, but finasteride has the affinity to cause that. Why would you put something we know may be causing that into your treatment? I mean, we can ask that about a lot of things lot with of conventional things. medicine. So, it, it, and so for guys listening to this <clears throat> who may be taking it and are like, hmm, you know what? I think I, I experienced some of these side effects. Can they just pretty much go off or- off. There's that's, no tapering okay. off, nothing. Come off of it. Awesome. Can your hair thin? Can you, you have, I don't know. 
but come off of it, especially if you start feeling those symptoms. If you start seeing like a lot of guys, I had a guy the other day who called me. He's a personal trainer, beautiful hair. You know, like he does everything. And he was like, I'm not doing bad. I'm pretty good. I don't think he's doing anything to me. I'm like, so why did you call our office? It's like, well, you know, my, my libido's not as good. Um, I'm feeling a little more anxiety. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's my job. I'm like, maybe. Or maybe it's that your DHT is not good. And lo and behold, we checked his DHT. His natural testosterone level was in the 700. And his DHT was below 40. And he, he was a personal trainer who coaches men. So I'm like, we, we, we know enough now. If we didn't know, I'd understand that. Einstein said that. With, um, ooh, let me try to get it. Um, <laughs> when you know better, you should do better. Mm -hmm. With the privilege of knowing comes the duty to act. Once you know, you need to do something about it. Conscious. Ignorance conscious. sometimes is bliss, but not for this. Mm -hmm. We need awareness. We need to talk about it. The EDCs are important, but it's, sometimes it's so hard to avoid exposure. We're going to work on it. But finasteride is very easy to avoid exposure. Don't take it. You got, If you guys don't get the message, I don't know what <laughs> will. <laughs> and so Rudy is actually going to be doing a talk for my virtual Silverback Summit coming in May, which by this time this podcast comes out, I would have already started promotion. So I want to kind of tease what your talk will be on, because at that, it's this very hot topic of all these weight loss injections that have seemingly become the rage. And I compare it to like the keto diet where, you know, 10 years ago, people thought keto was this new diet, but mm -hmm. you've actually been using things like semaglutide and terzepatide way longer than they've actually been in the public. So can you touch on kind of what they are and some of the misinformation out there and then about what you'll talk about for the summit? Definitely. So that class of medication is called GLP-1, glucagon-like peptide 1. And what they do, they, they, they act on incretin hormones that are gut hormones that increase your own production of insulin when you take oral glucose. And it's an amazing science. Again, I love science. So they were able to develop that back in the 90s. And the first GLP-1 became... FDA approved for diabetes back in 2005. So in internal medicine, in my branch of medicine, GLP-1s are nothing new. I've been using GLP-1 agonists for diabetes for more than 15 years with amazing success. There was never a controversy about them when it was about, about uh, diabetes. So yeah. for example, I, I work as, as primary care with a local Native American tribe in the Miami area. And when I went there about 10 years ago, um, there's a high incidence of diabetes in Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And most of those patients were on insulin. Insulin, actually, a study just came out that insulin increases risk of heart disease in the future because, as we know, insulin is, increases fat deposits. So most of my patients that were on insulin, I was able to switch them to GLP-1 agonists because GLP-1 agonists are the best thing for insulin resistance. They, increase, they decrease gluconeogenesis, the formation of new sugar from the liver, increase glucose uptake from the muscles, and improve insulin resistance. And we know that. All coaches know that, even better than doctors. Insulin resistance is the scourge of our society. So yeah. we finally had something amazing that works even better than metformin. That's why metformin works so well. Mm -hmm. It tackles insulin resistance. GLP-1s are really good at this. So 
first generation GLP ones, things like exenatide, um, uh, anything with Tide is a GLP one. <laughs> okay. So I call them the Tide medications. <laughs> so I've been using them for 15 plus years, mostly with no problem. There are some side effects because it slows down digestion. So patients can feel a little nauseous. Um, I've had, especially in the older ones, I've had one or two cases of acute pancreatitis. So like everything, you have to weigh risk and benefits. But from 2005, every two or three years, a new generation would come out. And every time they got better at refining with affinity with estrogen, you know, less side effects, better results. Then in 2014, Saxenda came out mm. and it was pretty good for weight loss. It got FDA approval for weight loss. That was a daily injection. I used it somewhat, but the average weight loss in a year was about three to 5% of body weight. Nothing amazing. Then in 2017, semaglutide or Ozempic or Wegovy came out. And that's where we started seeing a lot of weight loss with it. So um, that, that, that my primary care patients, like I was telling you, I switched 90% of them from insulin to a GLP-1 agonist. And the results I was getting was amazing. Not only would their A1C improve, uh, they would lose weight, their lipid profile improve, um, you know, really amazing improvement. So semaglutide or Ozempic did so well for weight loss that it got FDA approval for weight loss, even if you don't have diabetes, because it tends not to cause, to cause hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. So Ozempic was really good. Then in 2021, Tilzepatide or Mount Jao came out. I remember when I was at the, uh, your conference, I kept saying, the best peptide out there is still zepatide. Everybody needs to know about this yeah, yeah. until zepatide is showing to be a game changer for the weight loss industry, because this is the first GLP-1 agonist that they were able to target another hormone called GIP, glucose independent peptide. And that GIP, they actually found those receptors in fat cells. So not only are you less hungry, you tend to lose fat. Uh, like, you know, we call a lot of things fat burners. This yep. is a true fat burner that induces lipolysis. So they even did studies of tilzepatide versus semaglutide. Semaglutide, usually nine to 12 months, most people will lose between 10 to 15% of their body weight. With tilzepatide, 15 to 20, up to 25%. It's so good that now it can replace gastric sleeve or gastric bypass surgery. Wow. And again, you know, me and you were good at this. It's not just the medication. You need to do your part. You need to do your work. So, but this is the first time that you can give something, a medication to somebody where it takes away a lot of this anxiety eating, that rumination. Um, uh, Rosie O'Donnell was very public about it. And I did a little video about it. She put out an article in December, her doctor put her on Mount Jao. And she's like, oh my God, it's great. I lost 10 pounds in six weeks. She's like, but it's not the weight. It's the first time that she felt like she's not always thinking about food. So it causes something, it uncouples the, the pleasure from food from the dopamine release. Because you know that now, unfortunately, most patients we see at our practice, they already know what they should be doing. They know they should eat the cookies. They know they should eat better, but there is an, a, a dopamine release, almost an addiction to food that it was really hard to combat this. When people have that anxiety eating, it's not what you tell them. They know they shouldn't do it. They can't overcome that resistance. Those medications are able to help you get there. Mm -hmm. So this is amazing. And yes, so a couple of side effects that people are worried about. 
And there is a black box warning about a possibility of increased thyroid cancer with those medications. They saw that mostly in rats and mice. Mm. So the best way to know if a medication is safe, it's when millions of people take it for multiple years. No studies can replicate what's happening in the real world. So right now, millions of people are taking GLP-1, whether it's for diabetes or for uh, weight loss. They haven't seen a big spike in thyroid cancer. They haven't seen a big spike in any of those bad diseases. Actually, um, cardiologists are starting to prescribe this because fat, fat is all the inflammatory side can produce. So it actually it is a treatment now for fatty liver disease when you have too much fat around your liver that can eventually progress into fibrosis and liver failure. The best, the treatment doctors usually tell you, lose weight. Well, you know what? This can help. And I'm going to tell you my last hack, combining tilzepatide and testosterone when the patient uh, qualifies for testosterone. It is the best treatment for any insulin resistance type of problem. Pre-diabetes, metabolic syndrome, increased visceral fat. You do tilzepatide plus testosterone. I call it the T-square stack. <laughs> I put a patient on T-square stack. I love that. Six months, completely different person. That, yeah, oh. I, I love that you went over that. I love, okay. First of all, I know you're educating people about nutrition and exercise, but I think a lot of fitness professionals really hate these drugs. They're, they're very dismissive of the dismissive of them because it, it's almost like that educational aspect is not happening where granted, I'm sure some doctors do not have the knowledge that you do. Many of them actually don't have the knowledge you do in nutrition and exercise, but Combining that with the use of these, we've seen the power in that. The second thing is like, we've been preaching education on, you know, nutrition, exercise, what to do forever. I don't think America's really gotten much better because we have access to the info. People know what to do. They're not going to do it. That's why they hire coaches. I've tried semaglutide and terzepatide. I want to understand how it works. What am I going to feel? I literally was disinterested in anything that I like. So I understand that that effect where if somebody suffers from anxiety or has these types of um, relationships with food, how that can absolutely help them. And I think another part of the misinformation with with the fitness community is that people are worried, well, they're not going to learn these habits and they're going to lose too much muscle. Again, if if you're prioritizing your protein, if you're weight training, you can mitigate a lot of that. But these are things that if they're assisting people to see better results for our program as, as well, I think everybody can win. And like you said, people would be showing up with pancreatitis and thyroid cancer left and right if it were as bad as it seems. So there is a lot of good and there could be a lot of good in the future. So thank you for, um, for kind of broaching that. And I look forward to the full version so that people like myself who are having clients ask about it and want to understand more can really understand how these work and what the application and proper approach would be in combination with a physician such as yourself. So for for, fitness professionals listening to this, I encourage you guys to develop relationships with doctors that you want to work with. Rudy can be one of them, but he's mine first. So you have to ask (laughs) me permission, but understand what they do, why they do, go through their process, 
I can't tell you how much money and time I've spent going through the process to find people such as yourself and the Silverback Network that we have so that you know exactly who to refer people to. So that being said, do you do telemedicine? How do people find you? Where are you located? Yes. So, um, you know, our clinic is called Medical Health Institute. So that's our handle on Instagram. We have a website. I work, uh, you know, like my partners of the Bertha Nazi boys who are beast about nutrition training. Uh, We give really good service because that's what happens. Um, I've, I've really been a caring, compassionate doctor who cared about getting better results for my patients, but I never had the right setup, the right back office to really be able to follow up, do the right coaching and help patients the right way. So our company now, MHI, we're excellent at this. We do telehealth in most states. There's a few states we don't do. Um, Everything gets shipped to your house. So everything gets done to a telehealth um, visit. So we are passionate about this. Uh, You know, just like you are, to me, it's getting, we need thousands of people like us because the need is so huge out there. But uh, uh, our passion is to educate and help people feel their best. So yes, telehealth, uh, we're in Miami. A lot of patients like to come to the office. Uh, We'll say maybe 80% of our 75 to 80% are telehealth, about 15 to 20% are in-office visits. And they, they go on the website to contact or Instagram? Yeah, website is better. There's a phone number. And we did the same thing. We do both female hormone optimization and male hormone optimization. Right. On our male side, it's a whole, all male staff. On the female side, we do all female staff. Because we really feel like, you know what, sometimes, again, not everybody's like you, Ali. Not everybody can really sit down and talk to a man and really understand and let them be vulnerable and open up to you. So we find that for us, it's a little easier if it's guys. Most of our guys are on treatment also. Those are a lot of them were patients who now became coaches and coordinators with us once we yep. change their lives. So yes, so go on our website. Um, if you go on our website, we're trying to revise because we have so much information. We have all the interview with Shana Swan, with Dr. Ramasamy. Uh, we just interviewed um, Astro Generation, Dr. Anthony J. So there's so much info, but the best thing is to call First, you will speak to one of our coaches, highly trained, answer your question. Then we do an extensive blood panel. We check so many things that usually when, you know, the the patients will be overwhelmed by the amount of blood that that they do. But I go panel by panel to explain to them, my best patient is an informed patient. Because to me, it's a partnership with the patient. Because a lot of times the treatment I'll give them, when they go to their primary care doctor, the the primary care is going to try to T-shame them gaslight them. You don't need this. I'm like, you learn it. Here are the studies so that when you go to your primary care, your body's talking about this, you can even tell them, this is why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. So we are big on education. And I have been through your process. I've done the labs with you guys. It is an extensive panel. I've talked to Dr. Amy Wecker, who is the female uh, hormone person. There goes my sign that falls every single day. Um, so she's amazing and she's hilarious and she and I have had coffee. So these are things that you fit pros do this stuff. So you guys have the relationships, Rudy, thank you so much for your time today. This has been just amazing. I know a lot of men are going to benefit from hearing about this. I'm sure you're going to get DM'd with tons of questions. So I look forward to seeing you at AMMG. I look forward to seeing you at the hybrid health summit. I'm going to see a lot of you. Uh, and then your talk for the virtual silverback and then eventually the in-person silverback. So 
a lot of Rudy Alley time this year. I'm excited. I'm loving it. And I'm going to plug my, my personal um, Instagram page. It's yes, Dr. Yes. Rudy Best Life. So Dr. Dr. Rudy Best Life. This is where I'm a little more, uh, you know, like loose, where I talk a lot about a lot about of those subjects. I put personal stuff. I was yeah. never on social media before, but sometimes it's the best way to really um, um, convey the right information. Oh, so, yeah. and really I chose that name, Best Life, because at the end of the day, what are we trying to give our patients? Your best life. Optimization. Yeah. It's as simple as this. I'll put all those handles, the website, everything in the show notes so everyone can find that easily. Thank you for coming on. You're so easy to talk to. We could we'd put, spend a whole day talking. I know. We really could. <laughs> we'll have to do like part two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Love to. Thank you so much, Ali. This was great. I had a lot of fun.